Thanks, Kat. So if you guys have been with us the last few uh, weeks since the beginning of the new year, we've had a, a, a person from church or an individual um, share their personal testimony of Jesus' faithfulness in their life. And this, mor- this morning is no different. So um, Pam Narvaez will be sharing her story with us this morning. Is Oh, there she is. Okay. She was working coffee this morning, too. She's amazing. So Pam's going to be sharing her story. And can you guys just welcome her as she comes up? Good morning. Um, My name is Pam, and this is my story. So before I knew Jesus personally, I was lost. Um, I was raised Lutheran. Nothing wrong with that. I went to catechism. I attended church every Christmas and Easter faithfully every year. Once in a while, my dad even put $5 in the offering plate. To me, Jesus was just this nice guy who did nice things and had all these fluffy stories in a book called the Bible. When I was around 12, on a Saturday night before Easter Sunday, I was woken up in the middle of the night. I felt this this incredible warmth come over me and had this amazing revelation of who Jesus was and what he actually did for me. He died on a cross for me. He sacrificed his life for me. I laid there for hours in this amazement, and I cried with this crazy awareness. After that, I had this desire to know who God was, but nowhere to go with it. So life moved on. I graduated from Granton High School, I joined the Air Force and forgot all about God. I met my husband, Art. We fell in love. And very soon after, we married. We were married around a year, and things were okay. But they could certainly be better. One day, Art just said, I think we should go to church. Honestly, I wasn't really opposed to church, so I thought... Why not? We looked around um, in our area for a while, and we tried a lot of churches, and honestly, um, there was nothing around that that really grabbed us, and it was pretty discouraging. Um, So we checked our mail one day, and we got a postcard in the mail from a new church plant starting right around the corner from our apartment. So we went the next Sunday. It was life-changing. These people were different, kind, like a genuine kind, and they were welcoming. The music was loud. There were drums and keyboards. People were shouting things like amen and raising their hands. What was going on? Was this church or a concert? I heard things like being born again, and words like salvation, I was clueless. I had never heard those things before. I had no idea what that was all about. But I loved it. I loved everything around me at that time. So we went back the next Sunday. That evening, um, after church that that night, um, I was woken up in the middle of the night once again. 
There was a pounding in my chest and this feeling of urgency that I needed to get up. So I did. I walked into my living room. I knelt down by my couch, and I asked Jesus to be the Savior of my life. That was 1994. I've learned a lot since then. Things like, you know, just being a Christian, your life doesn't always go your way. You can't bribe God with prayer, be extra good, and expect a miracle or an answer to your prayer. Our miracle is in the waiting. During a, a recent, just difficult time in our lives, um, I found an album, um, Christine DeMarco, she sings on Bethel music. And she sings a song called Take Courage. And in the chorus of the song, it proclaims that he is in the waiting. But if you think about it, we are all miracles. He chose you, and he chose me. Why? I don't really know about you, but that is something to celebrate every day. I believe we all have miracles waiting for us, whether they're big or small. Salvation for our children, job situations, deliverance from addictions, breaking the chains of depression, whether that's you or a family member, healing of sick bodies, bones, and souls. He is in the waiting. And I think how you wait matters. Our attitudes at work, our attitudes toward our children, the things we say, the way we treat the, love, the ones we love, and even strangers. The attitude of our heart matters. James 1, 2 through 4 states, Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. I am absolutely not complete, and I am absolutely a work in progress, but I will serve God with joy and with every ounce of my soul while I wait and believe God for my miracles every day. My name is Pam Narvaez. This is the year of 52 stories, and Jesus is and always will be the hero of mine. Thank you, Pam. There's so much power in our testimonies, um, isn't there? Um, so next, I have the opportunity and the privilege to, to welcome our guest speaker this morning, Stacy Remus, and um, will be joining us this morning. Her and her husband, Andy, recently planted Bluffview Church in Arpen, Wisconsin, um, who we had the privilege of praying for and supporting. Um, so Stacy's here to give us a little update and share a message from God's Word. Please welcome Stacy. There's a lot of transitions today, isn't there? A lot of stuff going on here. So, well, thank you, thank you for um, for having me here, and I'm just—it's uh, a privilege to have been invited. Um, so, my husband and I—I'm Stacy Ramus. 
my husband and I, we pastor at Bluffview. And if some of you were here for, uh, I think it was, I don't know how many weeks ago or months ago, we were actually up here with Jay and Sarah Holbrook, who some of you know, and um, they had it in their heart to plant a church in Arpen. And in, um, in Arpen, okay, it's not too far away from here, there's really no full gospel church within a 10-mile radius. So Arpen was kind of on our radar with that. And the church plant, it was born out of a series of events. So um, my husband and I live in Arpen, and um, we've... We've got uh, we, we've had a, a business in Auburndale called um, a business in Auburndale called Rapid Air Products. I don't know if anybody if anybody knows that, but uh, recently we sold our business and we've had the um, opportunity to kind of step back a little bit and not be so much involved in the business. So we've we've also got a lot of connections through the Sozo House down on Peach Street. If anybody's seen the Sozo House, it's a and, and kind of an ecumenical uh, ministry house, and we do Bible studies there, prayer groups, uh, baptisms, and we, um, through, the, through the hosting of um, uh, some praise nights that we had, we did get connected with, uh, with Pastor Zach, and we've, we've just been really good friends with, with him for uh, the last few years, and it's been a joy to get to know them. So uh, Jay and Sarah Holbrook, they've got the bread barn. And, uh, you know, I think you, you guys are a little bit uh, acquainted with the bread barn. That's a food pantry. And it's down in uh, Arpen. And they've got a church that's actually on the same property as the bread barn that's been shut down for a, a number of years. So they've been, they've been kind of after us. Like, you know, we, sh we should start a church. We, we should start a church. We just have it in our hearts. We want to start a church. We want to do this church plant. And we just, I don't know, it just, we're, we're thinking about it. Oh, Lord, Lord, what should we do? What should we do? Finally, when Pastor Zach approached us, he said, what are you going to do? You guys should start a church. So we thought, okay, you know what? As soon as we decided, immediately we had this core group, this amazing, I mean, probably 20 people that were just barely invited that just kind of came together. And they said, we're ready, we're ready, we're ready. So they just kind of showed up. There was all this passion and zeal, and they wanted to meet now. So we, it was like a hard and fast push. If you've ever had a hard and fast labor, you know, giving birth, this is like what this church plant was. It, it's not the typical church plant pace. I mean, it was, it was like we were, we were all in. So we had no building at the time, Okay. Uh, before the, the church that uh, was on the same property as the bread barn, that church was closed down, but it was, it was still owned by the Seventh-day Adventists, which was the, uh, the church denomination that was there. So a little backstory on the Seventh-day Adventists is they actually owned that property since 1898. Not 1998, 1898. So uh, it's, it's been in their possession since a lumber company way back in the day sold them that property. About one week later, after we said yes to planting a church, they put the sign up for sale. They had no idea what we were doing. And Jay calls, he says, the realtor put the sign up, the realtor put the sign up, we gotta get going. <laughs> and um, long story short is uh, after 124 years, the building went up for sale and now we're the, we're the owners. Bluffview Church is now the owners of the former Seventh-day Adventist Church. So isn't that crazy how God works? 
It's just nuts. So the building needed some remodeling. So we've got this, you know, zealful uh, co congregation, core group that's that's kind of saying, "Let's go, let's go." So they want to um, they want to start meeting. So we need to find a place to meet in the meantime because the the Seventh Day Adventist Church they needed a little bit of updating and remodeling. So we went to one of the churches in Arpen. Uh, it was St. John's um, Church of. Uh, Church of Christ, and they're shut down right now because of uh, the pandemic, and they're they're not they're not meeting only very sporadically. So we said, "Do you think that there's a chance that we could rent your church so that we could get our church started?" And they were overjoyed. They said, "Yes, we need money, okay, because they haven't been meeting." And there's another thing too. There's two churches in Arpen. They have both dwindled down to right around a dozen or less people. Like we went to church there one Sunday, they had six people there in their church and no pastor. Neither one of them has a pastor. They're operating on um, uh, like lay ministers to come and, and do a message. So this, this area is starving for something spiritual. So they let us use their, their church and our first Sunday was January 9th and we had about 45 people and then um, put, up, put up the slide, Robin. So this, this picture right here was our second Sunday, and we had more people, more people. So this, I think, yeah, second Sunday, now we can't hardly fit any more people in there. We got people up in the balcony, which is a little shaky, to be perfectly honest. It's a 110-year-old church. <laughs> so uh, we've got, uh, you know, we've, we've, we're, we're pretty much packed to the gills, and we are having so much fun you might see some people that you recognize. And the, the other thing, too, is there's a lot of new locals that are coming. We have people that are coming that haven't been to church in 40 years, okay? I love Pam's story. That was so awesome about how they got the postcard. It was a church plant. People are like, you know what? I don't want to be brand new at a church and go into a church where it's kind of, you know, clicky or whatever. But I tell you what, I will go to a church that's new where nobody, you know, nobody necessarily knows me, and we're getting a lot of new people. We're getting people that don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We're getting new people every week. So um, let's show up the, uh, the second slide here. This is the Seventh-day Adventist church that we bought that we've been remodeling a little bit, and it'll seat 250 people, so we are really looking forward to getting in there. So our goal is to be in by Easter. So as Jay Holbrook made a motto, he said, if we want to be in by Easter, we better get off our keister. So, anyway, I thought I'd better throw that in for him. So we even have swag. We've got hats that say Bluffview. So um, anyway, I thought it's okay if I throw some of these out, right? All right. Come on. Oh, nobody ran up to catch it. All right. I can't throw that far. So somebody can Oh, oh, that was lame. Okay, somebody run up and get it. <laughs> All right, so there's the swag. Okay, well. <laughs> All right, I'm honored to um, have been invited to also give the sermon today. My husband is back at Bluffview preaching the message there. So I'm going to talk just briefly today, but I want to talk about something that is going to be something that you could take with you. Something that you could say, you know what, I'm going to put this into practice the minute I get home and this week, and my life is going to change. And it's not about doing more. Okay, it's not about doing more because we don't have any more to do. It's about changing your thinking, and it's about having a new experience, and it's about 
Spiritual maturity, that's what it's about, okay? So what is spiritual maturity, and how can I get it? That's what we're going to talk about. So the biblical definition of spiritual maturity, um, so Stephen Rankin, he is an author, Christian author, and he wrote a book called Aiming at Maturity, The Goal of Christian Life. He defines a spiritually mature person as one whose character, dispositions, words, and actions emulate the character of Jesus Christ himself. So if we could pick apart that definition, what does that really mean? In Ephesians 5, Paul told the church at Ephesus, he said, be imitators of God. And you remember, Jesus said, I'm not going to do any, I can't do anything without my, without, unless I see the Father doing it. So in other words, we need to be imitators of Christ. That's what it means. And I'm telling you, church, none of us have arrived. We are all a work in progress. Every single one of us. All right? I'm going to break down who we are as people with this simple object lesson that I do in Sunday school. Okay? Anybody here like Twix candy bars? Uh-huh. Come on. There was only half the hands that went up. Everybody liked Twix. All right. Twix has how many parts to it? No, not two. Three. Yes. All right. We are like this Twix bar. We're three parts. We've got the outer part, which is the chocolate, okay? And that's kind of like our flesh, the part that you see, all right? Then we've got the candy uh, or like the cookie, the cookie crunch on the inside. Let's say that's our soul, okay? So we got flesh, outer thing that you see, chocolate. Inside is the cookie crunch. That's our soul. And our soul is our mind, will, and emotions, like our intellect, our belief system about who we are and who, what the world is and where we, where we fit in. And then we got the most important and awesome, yummiest part, which is the ooey-gooey caramel, and that is our, that's like our spirit, okay? So I'm just going to liken, I'm going to use the Twix bar parable to liken ourselves to this three-part thing. It's one thing, right? It's a candy bar. It's one thing, but it's three parts, all right? Now, the part that we are the most, um, the, the, how, how does it grow, first of all? So how do we grow? Remember I said it's about spiritual maturity. How do we grow in spirit, okay? There's three parts of us that are growing. Uh, our flesh, how does our flesh grow? We eat food, okay? And we, you know, get exercise, whatever, and we, you know, we feed our bodies, and our bodies just kind of grow. It's sort of expected, and it's, it just, it happens, then our soul, how does our soul grow? Intellectually, we go to college, we go to school, we learn things from other people, we develop our belief system. So our soul, the cookie crunch, we're developing who we are as far as what we think, our belief system. We respond to our natural environment. So the flesh and soul, we, we kind of know how they grow, right? What about the spirit? The spirit, how does the spirit, spirit grow you might think well uh i don't know like how how in the world does the spirit grow so alton garrison he's a superintendent of uh, the assemblies of god he wrote a book and he he said that adults tend to stop growing spiritually about five to seven years after they become born again like their christian experience they tend to stop and 
why? Why is that? It's hard, it's hard to tell, you know, from, from looking, looking from, uh, from the outside, it's hard to tell if I could see someone as spiritually mature or spiritually immature unless I really get to know them because a lot of times intellect will, will cover that up and, you know, people might confuse intellect with spiritual maturity. Church, it's not the same, okay? If I have a master's degree in theology, it does not make me a spiritually mature person. In fact, it could almost work against me because I might get prideful over that degree and, you know, use that as kind of my cover-up. But it does not make me spiritually mature. It doesn't. So what does spiritual immaturity look like? Like, if we had to, if we had to do, like, a, if we had to, like, see somebody who is spiritually immature, how might it look in the natural? Let's put that slide up. This is hilarious. Did you know, I had to find this like on a Halloween costume site. Did you know that this one here, this guy, that costume actually sold out. <laughs> like people are so like, they're so mesmerized by what is ridiculous. But, you know, as for as much as we chuckle about that, and I, I do too, that's actually what God looks at. If we're spiritually immature, if you stop growing after year five or year seven, that's, that's what God sees when he sees me, when he sees you, if, if, that's, if that's the case with you. So now what? How do we grow spiritually? What, what do we do? Um, let's, let's, put up, uh, let, let's put up what it means. Let, let's, this the scripture. Let's slide one. Hebrews 5.14. It says, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So um, the writer of Hebrews is talking about solid food is for the mature, okay? It, you, you're like, well, what, what, is this, what is solid food? What, how, what is mature? It leaves us frustrated. Put up slide two once. This is kind of how it leaves us. Like what? How do I get spiritually mature? I have degrees. I'm smart. I'm grown up, my body is like an adult, but yet, what about my spiritual maturity? Signs of an immature, a spiritually immature person. What are they? Carnal nature rules everything. That's, that's the sign, okay? If you want to write down or if you want to pull up on your phone, um, Galatians uh, 5.19 it says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I'm like, oh, that's not me. No, I don't have any problem with that. No, we deceive ourselves. Every single one of us has elements of that. Every single one of us has elements of that. Even the really tough ones, even the hard ones, you're like, oh, witchcraft, no way. It's like, people, it's everywhere. It is in the shows that we watch. It's in what we see. It is in uh, stuff that we, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things. Drunkenness isn't just talking about, you know, wine. It's talking about indulgence in, in things. And there's, there's elements to this in everyday life. So we've got fruit issues, right? So Galatians 5.22, fruits, what are they? They're love. Come on, shout them out, somebody. 
Joy, yep. Yep, peace, patience, kindness, you know them. Goodness, gentleness, self-control, and all of that. These are the fruits of the flesh, right? Nope. They're the fruits of the soul. They are the fruits of the spirit, okay? You see, we're kind of getting a little closer to spiritual maturity and knowing what that is. So what does a spiritually immature person act like? Okay, the, like, let's say road rage, okay? The rage was actually one of them that was uh, the, the one that we don't want to be, right? Somebody pulls out in front of us, and right away, you're like, oh, I'm going to teach that kid a lesson. Oh, I'm going to pass him, and I'm going to go around, and he doesn't have any right to do that. And we just defend our rights, and it's me, 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 right? We all have a tendency we all have a tendency to, to think like that and to respond to our environment like those things. What about when you're in the store, okay? Like, oh, man, there's Sister Blister in the next row. I'm going to go around because I don't want to talk to her because she's high maintenance, all right? Or what about, what about uh, hey, I just sense the Holy Spirit is just wanting me to pray for that guy over there. Oh, but I can't. I promised my kids I'd get home so we could watch a movie. So I'm going to be late otherwise, you know? It's like, that is somebody who is, look, I'm not saying that's somebody who is necessarily like completely spiritually immature, but that's, that is the, uh, that, that, that is the, the looking inward, like the look, like the inward focus, Okay. So why are we like this? Why do we have these tendencies? Why? Number one, we've got a carnal nature, every single one of us. But yet our bodies and our souls are growing. What about our spirits? You know why we're like this? It's because nobody holds me accountable. Nobody. I may think that the, you know, that the Lord holds me accountable, but did you know that the next time I'm going to see the Lord face to face is after they close the coffin? And I'm going to have to stand before Jesus. And I don't want to be looking like the guy with the, with the bottle, right? I don't want to be looking like that. When we go to preschool, okay, like you, you're held accountable when you go to preschool because you have to uh, be potty trained, right? So you've got standards that you have to meet for, for behavior and for, uh, how, about, how about if you have a job? You have to have a certain intellect so your soul is held accountable. Your body is held accountable for things and different stages that you've got in life. But nobody holds us spiritually accountable. That's kind of on us, isn't it? So signs of a spiritually mature person, if we want to move from that into spiritual maturity, it is not, church, I, want to ex I just want to ex expressly tell you that it is not about doing more. It's about a shift in thinking and a change in your belief system. What was Jesus like? He was fruity in a good way. He was filled with fruit, all right? We, we just reviewed them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. That was his mantra. That is who he was, and that is what drove him, all right? A person who is spiritually mature, they are trusted with revelation. They know when to guard their tongue. And somebody who sees with deeper meaning beyond the natural. Even with the word of God. 
it's not just reading the word, doing the Sarah Young Bible devotionals every morning and saying, I put my time in, close it up, and then going about your day. It's about truly seeing and applying and knowing. And we're going to talk briefly about how to get there. Is somebody who acts and loves like Jesus and who sees people with a biblical, like, worldview. That's what Jesus did. And it's finally somebody who obeys the law. And what law am I talking about? Not the Ten Commandments. We're going to mess those up all day long, aren't we? I do every day. Um, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Jesus said, you know something? And I'm paraphrasing. He says, you know something? I know you're going to mess. I know you're going to mess the Ten Commandments up. I know that. I'm going to sum it up like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and love your what? Finish it. There you go, right there. And it says it again in Galatians. Paul's teaching the church. This law, it's fulfilled in Jesus. It is fulfilled in him. He says, I'm going I'm I'm to fulfill the whole law by just telling you to sum it up in one worldview. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. So how do you get there? How do we get to spiritual maturity? What can I tell you today that is going to put you on the road to spiritual maturity? This is stuff, three things that you can put into practice the minute you walk out of here. It is, um, hey, you know what we should do? Does anybody have their Bibles? Who brought, somebody brought their Bible. Can somebody look up John 8, 12? Raise your hand. Okay, look up John 8, 12, okay, and then hold, hold it. Because yeah, all right, and then I need somebody to look up Psalm 119, 105. Don't all volunteer at once. There you go. Okay, and then somebody, can you look up Matthew 5, 14 through 16? Somebody want to do that? Brady, you're going to do it. Okay, all right. So, what does this look like? Three things. This is uh, something that Alton Garrison gives. He's the superintendent of the Assemblies of God. He's got a great book. It's called The Spirit-Empowered Church. He says, number one, fresh encounters with Jesus. I also think fresh encounters with the Holy Spirit because as my Christian walk goes on, I feel more connected with the Holy Spirit on a day-to-day basis. That's just me, okay? All right, what does uh, John eight twelve say? You want to read it really loud? There you go. That's good. Fresh encounters with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So what do we do? How how do we act? We pray, listen, and always watch. Always be on the lookout. Always watch for things. Always watch, Jesus, what are you trying to tell me? This isn't just about reading a devotional in the morning. And it's not about spending four hours in prayer every day because that's just not a practical thing to do. But it's about driving down the road when you're on the way to pick your kids up for school and say, oh, Jesus, Jesus, I love you. Show me, show me something. Show me something more today. Reveal yourself to me. And then watch. Watch and listen. And, and see what he's going to do. We see people for counseling, okay? And um, sometimes there's people that are kind of messed up in one area and I cannot figure it out. Like, why are they so messed up? Why can't they get this? And I'm praying for him. I'm like, oh, Lord, Holy Spirit, show me. Show me what's going wrong there. Show me what that is. And like maybe two or three days later, the Holy Spirit will say, 
they got unforgiveness. Or um, they're into um, that guy right there. He's, he's into porn. And you'll get revelation and you'll get stuff. And to know to be trusted with, okay, good. Now, how can I counsel this person? And then there's breakthrough. When you're actively seeking and listening, okay? How about number two, experiences with the scripture? Psalm 119, 105, who had that one? All right, you want to read it nice and loud? Good, yep. Reading with active searching. Lord, what are you trying to tell me? What does this mean? Waking up hungry like, Lord, teach me the word. As I read this, Lord, would you help me find something brand new in this that I didn't know before? Did you ever read a passage and then like a, a few weeks, like you, even years later, you read the same passage and you're like, oh, I never read that part before. You probably read it a dozen times, but you, it was never revealed to you before because you repositioned your heart to experience and actually seek the meaning in it. And the Lord was gracious enough to reveal it to you. So fresh encounters with Jesus, experiences with the scripture, and then number three is faithful engagement with people. This is the practice that we put in the fruits of the spirit. So Braid, what's that one, Matthew? Uh, 514 through 16. All right, so that's good. That's good. This is about how we connect horizontally with other people. What do we do? How do we treat people? There was a point in my life where I just did not have compassion for people. Like, I just, I just didn't. It's like I didn't have any compassion. So I started to ask the Lord, please, Lord, help me connect with people in a meaningful way. Help me to have compassion for them. You know, William Booth, he was like the start of the Salvation Army. And him and his leaders got together and they said, you know what we should do to get our people more compassionate for the ministry of the Salvation Army? Why don't we send them to seminary for five years? And William Booth got up and said, how about if we send them to hell for five minutes? That'll make them compassionate. If you can picture people, a whole world out there, just lost, just completely lost, and you begin to see them as somebody's son, somebody's daughter, or husband, and that could be your family. We're called to love them, church. We're called to share our faith with them. Just think if Pam would and Art would have never got that postcard from the new church plant, she might have kind of been going on with this, this, this kind of like dead deadness in her, and instead somebody reached out to her. And you know, if you're sitting here and you're a born-again believer, chances are somebody reached out to you too. To love people. So to conclude, I want to tell you this, church, is that we are called to be like the bride of Christ. And I can't wrap my mind around what that means. All I know is that we were not called to look like this. We are not called to look like that. When I stand before Jesus Christ, and when you stand before Jesus I want you and I to stand before him and say, Lord, 
I did my best to emulate who you are, Jesus, because I don't want to be an infant. I want to be grown up. I want to be one who is always loving people like you do and had your character. Is there anybody here who's just not satisfied with where they are spiritually? Just, just stick your hand up. I'm not going to make you come up here. Just stick your hand up if you need to grow more. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, why don't we stand? And for those of you who are really serious about your fresh encounter with Jesus and your experiences with the scripture and your faithful engagement with people to grow into who Jesus Christ wants you to be. I'm not talking about changing you as a person. I'm talking about you becoming who you were originally meant to be. Father, Lord, I pray for every person standing here and every person with their hand up. Lord, it's time to get serious, and we're going to make that declaration. It's time to be serious. Lord, we love you. Lord, make us, make us more passionate about being Christ-like. Lord, you can't do it for us. This is on us as a church. Paul didn't say, let Jesus make you an imitator of God. He did not say that. He said, be imitators of God. So, Lord, I ask that you would give us a fire and a passion to be more like you so that on our dying day when they close that coffin, we could stand before Jesus and say, I grew up, I grew up the best I could, and I hope I'm ready for you, Lord. In your holy name, Lord, we pray. Amen.